Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to another episode of the Innocence Redeemed podcast. I'm your host, Ray Bergman, and the topic of today's show is going to be called Rampant Unbelief and the Consequences Thereof. Now, with things heating up in the season the way we already see, you know, laws being passed, separations happening over, you know, many virtues, we see a lot of the persecution that is a result of those who say they're believers and they're not acting it. And we also see many who have been misled and conditioned by the mainstream churches. And as a result, they don't understand that they are falling into a trap. When times get tough, are we going to be deniers? Are we going to be victims of unbelief? Are we going to fall under the judgments? These are some hard questions we have to begin to ask ourselves. In this podcast, I've cut out many verses um, from my New Living Translation audio Bible CD, and I've inserted those because I realize sometimes I tend to read fast, so I've put the ones in that are the most important that the Lord was leading me to um, study for this podcast, and I wanted to talk about the unbelief because I see this more and more and more, and many state that they are believers, but they're not being doers of the word, and it doesn't show in their actions and how they treat everyone. We need to remember to stay firm in our foundations, guys. I had wrote a blog on the Bread and the Foundations not too long ago, and when I wrote that blog, I was talking about how Jesus was referring to buildings being foundations, yes, but they will crumble down. And as that relates, people's faith is being tried and tested right now. We don't want to be part of the falling away, and we certainly do not want to be victims of the unbelief. Unbelief in the Lord and his teachings leads to betrayal, which is what many are facing now. And despite Jesus stating many times who he was, many still would not believe. And Peter even went as far as to deny him. Ask yourself, when persecution comes, will you deny Jesus? You see, it will be the unbelief that leads to persecution, as we read in John 18. Let's take a listen. The book of John, chapter 18. Jesus is betrayed and arrested. After saying these things, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley with his disciples and entered a grove of olive trees. Judas the betrayer knew this place because Jesus had often gone there with his disciples. The leading priests and Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. Now, with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrived at the olive grove. Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him, so he stepped forward to meet them. Who are you looking for? he asked. Jesus the Nazarene, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. As Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. Once more he asked them, Who are you looking for? And again they replied, Jesus the Nazarene. I told you that I am he, Jesus said. And since I am the one you want, let these others go. He did this to fulfill his own statement. I did not lose a single one of those you have given me. Then Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. But Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword back into its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? Jesus at the high priest's house. So the soldiers, their commanding officer, and the temple guards arrested Jesus and tied him up.
First, they took him to Annas, the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest at that time. Caiaphas was the one who had told the other Jewish leaders, it's better that one man should die for the people. Peter's First Denial Simon Peter followed Jesus, as did another of the disciples. That other disciple was acquainted with the high priest, so he was allowed to enter the high priest's courtyard with Jesus. Peter had to stay outside the gate. Then the disciple who knew the high priest spoke to the woman watching at the gate, and she let Peter in. The woman asked Peter, You're not one of that man's disciples, are you? No, he said, I am not. Because it was cold, the household servants and the guards had made a charcoal fire. They stood around it, warming themselves, and Peter stood with them, warming himself. The high priest questions Jesus. Inside, the high priest began asking Jesus about his followers and what he had been teaching them. Jesus replied, Everyone knows what I teach. I have preached regularly in the synagogues and the temple where the people gather. I have not spoken in secret. Why are you asking me this question? Ask those who heard me. They know what I said. Then one of the temple guards standing nearby slapped Jesus across the face. Is that the way to answer the high priest? He demanded. Jesus replied, If I said anything wrong, you must prove it. But if I'm speaking the truth, why are you beating me? Then Annas bound Jesus and sent him to Caiaphas, the high priest. Peter's Second and Third Denials Meanwhile, as Simon Peter was standing by the fire warming himself, they asked him again, You're not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, No, I am not. But one of the household slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Didn't I see you out there in the olive grove with Jesus? Again, Peter denied it. And immediately, a rooster crowed. Jesus' trial before Pilate. Jesus' trial before Caiaphas ended in the early hours of the morning. Then he was taken to the headquarters of the Roman governor. His accusers didn't go inside because it would defile them and they wouldn't be allowed to celebrate the Passover. So Pilate, the governor, went out to them and asked, What is your charge against this man? We wouldn't have handed him over to you if he weren't a criminal, they retorted. Then take him away and judge him by your own law, Pilate told them. Only the Romans are permitted to execute someone, the Jewish leaders replied. This fulfilled Jesus' prediction about the way he would die. Then Pilate went back into his headquarters and called for Jesus to be brought to him. Are you the king of the Jews? he asked him. Jesus replied, Is this your own question, or did others tell you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate retorted. Your own people and their leading priests brought you to me for trial? Why? What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said, So you are a king? Jesus responded, You say, I am a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. What is truth? Pilate asked. Then he went out again to the people and told them, He is not guilty of any crime, but you have a custom of asking me to release one prisoner each year at Passover. Would you like me to release this king of the Jews? 
But they shouted back, No, not this man. We want Barabbas. Barabbas was a revolutionary. And it goes on. You know, up until Jesus was put to death, the unbelief continued. And that's demonstrated in uh, John 19. Let's take a listen. The book of John, chapter 19. Jesus sentenced to death. Then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. The soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put a purple robe on him. Hail, King of the Jews, they mocked as they slapped him across the face. Pilate went outside again and said to the people, I'm going to bring him out to you now, but understand clearly that I find him not guilty. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said, Look, here is the man. When they saw him, the leading priests and temple guards began shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! Take him yourselves and crucify him, Pilate said. I find him not guilty. The Jewish leaders replied, By our law, he ought to die because he called himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was more frightened than ever. He took Jesus back into the headquarters again and asked him, Where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. Why don't you talk to me? Pilate demanded. Don't you realize that I have the power to release you or crucify you? Then Jesus said, You would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. So the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. Then Pilate tried to release him, but the Jewish leader shouted, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who declares himself a king is a rebel against Caesar. When they said this, Pilate brought Jesus out to them again. Then Pilate sat down on the judgment seat on the platform that is called the Stone Pavement, in Hebrew, Gabbatha. It was now about noon on the day of preparation for the Passover. And Pilate said to the people, Look, here is your king. Away with him, they yelled. Away with him, crucify him. What? Crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the leading priests shouted back. Then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. The Crucifixion. So they took Jesus away. Carrying the cross by himself, he went to the place called Place of the Skull, in Hebrew, Golgotha. There they nailed him to the cross. Two others were crucified with him, one on either side with Jesus between them. And Pilate posted a sign over him that read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. The place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek, so that many people could read it. Then the leading priests objected and said to Pilate, Change it from the king of the Jews to, He said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate replied, No, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they divided his clothes among the four of them. They also took his robe, but it was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said, Rather than tearing it apart, let's throw dice for it. This fulfilled the scripture that says, They divided my garments among themselves and threw dice for my clothing. So that is what they did. So even up until Jesus was crucified, the mocking took place even to the extent of rolling dice for his clothing and shaming him, 
When we look at Matthew 27, verses 39 through 54, we hear of a further illustration and read of a further illustration of this. The book of Matthew, chapter 27. The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, if you are the Son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. So he is the king of Israel, is he? Let him come down from the cross right now, and we will believe in him. He trusted God, so let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Even the revolutionaries who were crucified with him ridiculed him in the same way. The Death of Jesus At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. But the rest said, wait, let's see whether Elijah comes to save him. Then Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split apart, and tombs opened. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city of Jerusalem, and appeared to many people. The Roman officer and the other soldiers at the crucifixion were terrified by the earthquake and all that had happened. They said, this man truly was the Son of God. And just as they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah and mocked him up until his crucifixion, so it's now going to be with the unbelief we see around us. You know, it's causing many to scoff at the true believers, and the true believers are those of us who are all about the testimony of Jesus. We preach the truth. We live in the truth. We live the word. But Jesus warned us this would happen. And just as it was done to him before he died on the cross, so it will be now. Let's take a listen to Matthew 10, verses 15 through 28, and then also Matthew 10, verses 32 through 40, which lays this out. The book of Matthew, chapter 10. I tell you the truth, the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah will be better off than such a town on the judgment day. Look. I am sending you out as sheep among wolves, so be as shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves. But beware, for you will be handed over to the courts and will be flogged with whips in the synagogues. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell the rulers and other unbelievers about me. When you are arrested, don't worry about how to respond or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time. For it is not you who will be speaking. It will be the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. A brother will betray his brother to death. A father will betray his own child. And children will rebel against their parents and cause them to be killed. And all nations will hate you because you are my followers. But everyone who endures to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one town, flee to the next. I tell you the truth, the Son of Man will return before you have reached all the towns of Israel. 
Students are not greater than their teacher, and slaves are not greater than their master. Students are to be like their teacher, and slaves are to be like their master. And since I, the master of the household, have been called the prince of demons, the members of my household will be called by even worse names. But don't be afraid of those who threaten you, for the time is coming when everything that is covered will be revealed, and all that is secret will be made known to all. What I tell you now in the darkness, shout abroad when daybreak comes. What I whisper in your ear, shout from the housetops for all to hear. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be right in your own household." If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. Anyone who receives you receives me, and anyone who receives me receives the Father who sent me. If you receive a prophet as one who speaks for God, you will be given the same reward as a prophet. And if you receive righteous people because of their righteousness, you will be given a reward like theirs. And if you give even a cup of cold water to one of the least of my followers, you will surely be rewarded. So that means we maintain our faith through this persecution, just as Jesus endured until the very end. Persecution, just as it was done to Jesus, will be the same for Christians due to the rampant unbelief upon us now. So, many are asking, well, all these things we read about with the judgments, you know, what are these for? Who are they for? What will happen to the unbelievers? Or what will happen to those who call themselves Christians, but then do the opposite of what Jesus teaches? Further, what happens to the false teachers who are either idols or false pastors or prophets or priests going along with doctrine and statements that are leading to people's destruction eternally? Well, Jeremiah 8 verses 4 through 22 lays this out. This will be the judgment upon those who are of unbelief, as well as those who persecute others, like I was just talking about a moment ago. Let's take a listen. The book of Jeremiah, chapter 8. Deception by False Prophets Jeremiah, say to the people, This is what the Lord says. When people fall down, don't they get up again? When they discover they're on the wrong road, don't they turn back? Then why do these people stay on their self-destructive path? Why do the people of Jerusalem refuse to turn back? They cling tightly to their lies and will not turn around. 
I listen to their conversations and don't hear a word of truth. Is anyone sorry for doing wrong? Does anyone say, what a terrible thing I have done? No, all are running down the path of sin as swiftly as a horse galloping into battle. Even the stork that flies across the sky knows the time of her migration, as do the turtle dove, the swallow, and the crane. They all return at the proper time each year, but not my people. They do not know the Lord's laws. How can you say we are wise because we have the word of the Lord when your teachers have twisted it by writing lies? These wise teachers will fall into the trap of their own foolishness, for they have rejected the word of the Lord. Are they so wise after all? I will give their wives to others and their farms to strangers. From the least to the greatest, their lives are ruled by greed. Yes, even my prophets and priests are like that. They are all frauds. They offer superficial treatments for my people's mortal wound. They give assurances of peace when there is no peace. Are they ashamed of these disgusting actions? Not at all. They don't even know how to blush. Therefore, they will lie among the slaughtered. They will be brought down when I punish them, says the Lord. I will surely consume them. There will be no more harvests of figs and grapes. Their fruit trees will all die. Whatever I gave them will soon be gone. I, the Lord, have spoken. Then the people will say, Why should we wait here to die? Come, let's go to the fortified towns and die there. For the Lord our God has decreed our destruction and has given us a cup of poison to drink because we sinned against the Lord. We hoped for peace, but no peace came. We hoped for a time of healing, but found only terror. The snorting of the enemy's war horses can be heard all the way from the land of Dan in the north. The neighing of their stallions makes the whole land tremble. They are coming to devour the land and everything in it, cities and people alike. I will send these enemy troops among you like poisonous snakes you cannot charm. They will bite you and you will die. I, the Lord, have spoken. Jeremiah weeps for sinful Judah. My grief is beyond healing. My heart is broken. Listen to the weeping of my people. It can be heard all across the land. Has the Lord abandoned Jerusalem, the people ask? Is her king no longer there? Oh, why have they provoked my anger with their carved idols and their worthless foreign gods, says the Lord. The harvest is finished and the summer is gone, the people cry. Yet we are not saved. I hurt with the hurt of my people. I mourn and am overcome with grief. Is there no medicine in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why is there no healing for the wounds of my people? You know, Jeremiah, he lamented a lot as to the path his people were on. You know, he cried out to the Lord over the judgments they were facing, much in the same way many of the watchmen do now. Uh, You know, some of you might have recently heard what I was talking about when I said time is running out. And I did a podcast on my thoughts on the 4th of July. And I said that this nation was given over to judgment. It's been given over to judgment. There's many out there who are saying, oh, no, that's not it. God's merciful. God wouldn't do that. He wouldn't hurt. Yes, he would, because there's still many out there who are not coming to repentance, and they're still going about their own way. They're still doing whatever they want. You know, it goes further on in uh, Jeremiah 9. You know, Jeremiah talks to the Lord. He prays to the Lord, and he cries out because he sees the sorrow of his people. And much in the same way, you know, I've been doing that when I've been doing a lot of, uh, you know, my podcasts, I've been talking about that. You know, what will it take? What will it take? You know, things are going to get really bad. Migrations have already started. You know, people are leaving certain states. People are, you know, the destruction has started. The droughts have started. 
you know, the only thing that's holding off right now is some sort of impending disaster, which we haven't seen yet. But, you know, we're we're now in that season, folks. It's it's not time to be playing around anymore. You know, it's important to understand, you know, not believing what your itching ears want to hear. But continuing on in Jeremiah 9, we read about judgment for disobedience. And then we hear weeping in Jerusalem. And that's how it's going to be. You know, it's going to take, you know, an event to happen in order to get people to come to repentance because of the unbelief. You know, even now, people are just still playing around. It's not time to be having the drinks and having the parties and celebrating, you know, a possibility of Trump coming back to office or any prosperity, because this nation is not prospering. No country is. You know, we're on the verge of other lockdowns. We have evil people ruling us right now. And this is why we need to be calling on Jesus. We don't need to be, you know, playing the game of waiting on the fence, wait and see, wait and see. No. But going on to Jeremiah 9. The Book of Jeremiah, Chapter 9 If only my head were a pool of water and my eyes a fountain of tears, I would weep day and night for all my people who have been slaughtered. Oh, that I could go away and forget my people and live in a traveler's shack in the desert, for they are all adulterers, a pack of treacherous liars. Judgment for disobedience. My people bend their tongues like bows to shoot out lies. They refuse to stand up for the truth. They only go from bad to worse. They do not know me, says the Lord. Beware of your neighbor. Don't even trust your brother, for brother takes advantage of brother and friend slanders friend. They all fool and defraud each other. No one tells the truth. With practiced tongues they tell lies. They wear themselves out with all their sinning. They pile lie upon lie and utterly refuse to acknowledge me, says the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. See, I will melt them down in a crucible and test them like metal. What else can I do with my people? For their tongues shoot lies like poisoned arrows. They speak friendly words to their neighbors while scheming in their heart to kill them. Should I not punish them for this, says the Lord? Should I not avenge myself against such a nation? I will weep for the mountains and wail for the wilderness pastures, for they are desolate and empty of life. The lowing of cattle is heard no more. The birds and wild animals have all fled. I will make Jerusalem into a heap of ruins, says the Lord. It will be a place haunted by jackals. The towns of Judah will be ghost towns with no one living in them. Who is wise enough to understand all this? Who has been instructed by the Lord and can explain it to others? Why has the land been so ruined that no one dares to travel through it? The Lord replies, This has happened because my people have abandoned my instructions. They have refused to obey what I said. Instead, they have stubbornly followed their own desires and worshipped the images of Baal as their ancestors taught them. So now this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says, Look, I will feed them with bitterness and give them poison to drink. I will scatter them around the world in places they and their ancestors never heard of. And even there I will chase them with the sword until I have destroyed them completely. Weeping in Jerusalem. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Consider all this and call for the mourners. Send for the women who mourn at funerals. Quick, begin your weeping. Let the tears flow from your eyes. Hear the people of Jerusalem crying in despair. We are ruined. We are completely humiliated. We must leave our land because our homes have been torn down. 
Listen, you women, to the words of the Lord. Open your ears to what he has to say. Teach your daughters to wail. Teach one another how to lament. For death has crept in through our windows and has entered our mansions. It has killed off the flower of our youth. Children no longer play in the streets, and young men no longer gather in the squares. This is what the Lord says. Bodies will be scattered across the fields like clumps of manure, like bundles of grain after the harvest. No one will be left to bury them. This is what the Lord says. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom or the powerful boast in their power or the rich boast in their riches. But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love and who brings justice and righteousness to the earth, and that I delight in these things. I, the Lord, have spoken. A time is coming, says the Lord, when I will punish all those who are circumcised in body, but not in spirit. The Egyptians, Edomites, Ammonites, Moabites, the people who live in the desert in remote places, and yes, even the people of Judah, and like all these pagan nations, the people of Israel also have uncircumcised hearts. So what we just heard listening to Jeremiah 9 was that those who did not have a spiritual circumcision were destroyed, and they were then refined so that they could be, because only by then would they call on the name of the Lord. You know, Colossians 2, verse 11 When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. And having been buried with him in baptism, you were raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. So you see, that is the whole premise of being born again, so that your sinful nature is cut away. But those who refused, those who didn't understand, those who didn't repent, they still continued on in their own ways because they did not call on the name of the Lord. They did not call on Jesus Christ to come into their hearts and perform that spiritual circumcision. That continues on in Jeremiah 18, and even to the point that those he's trying to warn then start to make threats. You know, people out there right now trying to warn, they're trying to pass laws to come against them and persecute them. Just as uh, Jesus was telling people the right way of living, and they persecuted him. So you see, history keeps repeating itself. But people never learn from what they're being told or what how they're being instructed that they should live their life. And now going on in Jeremiah 18, you'll hear an example of that. The book of Jeremiah, chapter 18. The potter and the clay. The Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. He said, go down to the potter's shop and I will speak to you there. So I did as he told me and found the potter working at his wheel. But the jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped, so he crushed it into a lump of clay again and started over. Then the Lord gave me this message, O Israel, can I not do to you as this potter has done to his clay? As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. If I announce that a certain nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, but then that nation renounces its evil ways, I will not destroy it as I had planned. And if I announce that I will plant and build up a certain nation or kingdom, but then that nation turns to evil and refuses to obey me, I will not bless it as I said I would. Therefore, Jeremiah, go and warn all Judah and Jerusalem. Say to them, this is what the Lord says, I am planning disaster for you instead of good. So turn from your evil ways, each of you, and do what is right. But the people replied, 
Don't waste your breath. We will continue to live as we want to, stubbornly following our own evil desires. So this is what the Lord says. Has anyone ever heard of such a thing, even among the pagan nations? My virgin daughter Israel has done something terrible. Does the snow ever disappear from the mountaintops of Lebanon? Do the cold streams flowing from those distant mountains ever run dry? But my people are not so reliable, for they have deserted me. They burn incense to worthless idols. They have stumbled off the ancient highways and walk in muddy paths. Therefore, their land will become desolate, a monument to their stupidity. All who pass by will be astonished and will shake their heads in amazement. I will scatter my people before their enemies as the east wind scatters dust. And in all their trouble, I will turn my back on them and refuse to notice their distress. A Plot Against Jeremiah Then the people said, Come on, let's plot a way to stop Jeremiah. We have plenty of priests and wise men and prophets. We don't need him to teach the word and give us advice and prophecies. Let's spread rumors about him and ignore what he says. Lord, hear me and help me. Listen to what my enemies are saying. Should they repay evil for good? They have dug a pit to kill me, though I pleaded for them and tried to protect them from your anger. So let their children starve. Let them die by the sword. Let their wives become childless widows. Let their old men die in a plague and let their young men be killed in battle. Let screaming be heard from their homes as warriors come suddenly upon them. For they have dug a pit for me and have hidden traps along my path. Lord, you know all about their murderous plots against me. Don't forgive their crimes and blot out their sins. Let them die before you. Deal with them in your anger. But the people were still rebellious. Moving on to Jeremiah 19. The Book of Jeremiah, Chapter 19. Jeremiah's Shattered Jar. This is what the Lord said to me. Go and buy a clay jar. Then ask some of the leaders of the people and of the priests to follow you. Go out through the gate of broken pots to the garbage dump in the valley of Ben-Hinnom and give them this message. Say to them, Listen to this message from the Lord, you kings of Judah and citizens of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. I will bring a terrible disaster on this place, and the ears of those who hear about it will ring. For Israel has forsaken me and turned this valley into a place of wickedness. The people burn incense to foreign gods, idols never before acknowledged by this generation, by their ancestors, or by the kings of Judah. And they have filled this place with the blood of innocent children. They have built pagan shrines to Baal, and they burn their sons as sacrifices to Baal. I have never commanded such a horrible deed. It never even crossed my mind to command such a thing. So beware, for the time is coming, says the Lord, when this garbage dump will no longer be called Topheth or the Valley of Ben-Hinnom, but the Valley of Slaughter. For I will upset the careful plans of Judah and Jerusalem. I will allow the people to be slaughtered by invading armies, and I will leave their dead bodies as food for the vultures and wild animals. I will reduce Jerusalem to ruins, making it a monument to their stupidity. All who pass by will be astonished and will gasp at the destruction they see there. I will see to it that your enemies lay siege to the city until all the food is gone. Then those trapped inside will eat their own sons and daughters and friends. They will be driven to utter despair. As these men watch you, Jeremiah, smash the jar you brought. Then say to them, This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. 
as this jar lies shattered, so I will shatter the people of Judah and Jerusalem beyond all hope of repair. They will bury the bodies here in Topheth, the garbage dump, until there is no more room for them. This is what I will do to this place and its people, says the Lord. I will cause this city to become defiled like Topheth. Yes, all the houses in Jerusalem, including the palace of Judah's kings, will become like Topheth. All the houses where you burned incense on the rooftops to your star gods and where liquid offerings were poured out to your idols. Then Jeremiah returned from Topheth, the garbage dump where he had delivered this message, and he stopped in front of the temple of the Lord. He said to the people there, This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. I will bring disaster upon this city and its surrounding towns, as I promised, because you have stubbornly refused to listen to me. And in any of these prophecies, um, you know, Israel or Judah can be compared to as America, and just as it was back then, so it is now. I mean, it's happening now. People aren't listening. It's the same thing. You know, these judgments, they're coming. So... You know, it's due to all that rampant unbelief I've been talking about, you know, just as I mentioned in the beginning. So what does the Lord want us to be doing to get right? What does he want his people to be doing? Well, he wants them to obey his decrees. He wants them to be living by his word and being doers of the word. It is because they have rebelled and gone against everything the word is not that it leads to all these judgments. And that is what is causing the separations to take place right now. Let's take a look at Exodus 20, which goes over the Ten Commandments. Exodus, chapter 20, Ten Commandments for the Covenant Community. Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Honor your father and mother. Then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, 
male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. When the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, and when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance, trembling with fear. And they said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, but don't let God speak directly to us, or we will die. Don't be afraid, Moses answered them, for God has come in this way to test you, and so that your fear of him will keep you from sinning. Okay, so that played. Let's go in more detail over some of the sins in addition to the commandments I just played. Who will not enter the kingdom of heaven? Let's take a look at some examples. The word says, starting on 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11, Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, or who worship idols, or commit adultery, or are male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, or are thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or are abusive, or cheap people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy, and you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So, those verses read, let's expand on this. Point number one. Fornicators shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, the term fornicators refers to those who engage in sexual activity, which God has declared sinful. God condones and even encourages lawful sexual activity according to his design and purpose. So, what is the design and purpose? Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 7, verses 2 through 4. But because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Now, going further on in Hebrews, Hebrews 13 verse 4, give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. Now, when we look at the term fornication, It refers to sexual activity outside of the marriage relationship between a man and a woman. It would include premarital as well as extramarital sexual relationships of whatever duration from a one-night stand or an ongoing affair. Now, this sin is rampant today in our own society. It doesn't matter how often it's done, it's still unrighteous, and it will keep one from entering heaven. Moving on to point number two. Idolaters shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who offer to others what belongs unto God are idolaters. A person's idol might be a huge, grotesque image carved out of stone before which he bows. The New Age groups do this a lot. Most people are not even aware, but even yoga is a form of idolatry because it represents a spiritual submission to New Age ideas and consciousness. Many of those who are about earth worship are into this, and many take part in it every day without even realizing it. A form of idolatry also might be a person's own desires. So to put it simply, an idol is anything that a person adores, worships, or commits to before or more than God, and idolatry will keep one from entering heaven. So guys, there's some questions you have to ask yourself. Now, many people may understand what idolatry is, but for those who don't, ask yourself some questions. Do you spend more time watching movies or playing video games than you do worshiping God or praying? Do you devote more time to a cause? a politician, or a virtue. There's a lot of idolatry taking place with Donald Trump. I'm seeing that quite a bit. And people need to be reverencing Jesus more 
because he's the one who is your savior, not Donald Trump saving this country. Um, those of you who have been listening to me now for a while know how I feel about that. And you may note that I've called this out now quite a few times because it's a big one. Another point is, do you put priorities in a certain individual or place that person before your love of God? Because these are all points to think on where idolatry is concerned. Point number three, adulterers shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Adultery is a sexual unfaithfulness to a marriage partner. Adultery will keep one from entering heaven. But adultery can also apply to adulterating God's word or omitting his decrees in such a manner that his people are not living out his will. They aren't living the word. And there's a lot of that going on right now. You may have heard the term where someone might say something is adulterated, and that's the same thing. It basically means that something's not pure because it has been changed from how it was initially intended. It's been corrupted, and in this sense, it can apply to infidelity in a marriage or the omitting or changing of the word of God to suit one's lifestyle, whereas they don't apply what they don't like. But make no mistake, the word can't be changed. I mean, it's written regardless if someone likes it or not. It's not up for debate just because it doesn't fit our lifestyle or what we perceive to be what our lifestyle is. Perhaps we need to change our lifestyle to match the word. That's what you have to ask yourself. Especially if you're adulterating, if you're adulterating the word of God and don't agree with it. And if you don't agree with it, then you need to take that up with the Lord. Point number four, the effeminate shall not enter the kingdom of God. Now, when we see this word, we think of a sissy, but the word goes beyond that. It refers to one who is soft, specifically, to a passive partner in a homosexual relationship. Being effeminate will keep one from entering heaven. And I'll expand on that further just for a moment. I played the clips earlier from Jeremiah, but there is another as it relates to the effeminate. Let's take a look at Jeremiah 30, verse 6. Now let me ask you a question. Do men give birth to babies? Then why do they stand here, ashen-faced, hands pressed against their sides like a woman in labor? See, the word is not going to mince words to cater to a virtue, and this is part of the adulterated word that we have been seeing because God's been removed from many aspects of our society. Thus, men are not being men, and part of this is catering to men who are mentally ill and think they're actually women or vice versa. Many are even butchering their children's genitals and pumping them full of hormones. I mean, how, dis how disgusting and sick and wrong is that? Now, these are the behaviors of unbelievers but since we're on the subject, I'm mentioning that because these are an abomination and the Lord is very angry about them. Th these are sins that need to be turned away from. And this is why judgment's coming. Point number five, homosexuals shall not enter the kingdom of God. Now, this word is used twice in the New Testament. And let's take a look at 1 Timothy 1 verse 10. The law is for people who are sexually immoral or who practice homosexuality or are slave traders, liars, promise breakers, or who, do, or who do anything else that contradicts the wholesome teachings. Now that verse from 1 Timothy denotes those who are in homosexual relationships, which we see a lot of that today. It's unrighteous, folks, and it's going to keep people out of the kingdom of God. But that's what the covenant of Jesus Christ says. Practicing homosexuality will keep one from entering heaven. Many have been healed from this by calling on Jesus. There are many testimonies out there of men and women who used to practice homosexuality, but they repented and they found their love for Jesus and he healed them. So their sin was put to death. It's not impossible. It can be done, guys. Um, anybody listening who hears that, you know, before you disagree and scream at me, just understand you can be healed. But it starts with believing the testimony of Jesus and calling on him to heal you. Moving on to point number six, thieves shall not enter the kingdom of God. 
There's no excuse for taking that which rightfully belongs to another, whether it's shoplifting, pilfering, shortchanging, or armed robbery, fraud, and extortion. It's thievery. Whether the person doing the stealing is rich or poor, it will still keep one from entering heaven. Stealing is stealing. Putting it simply. Point number seven. The covetous will not enter the kingdom of God. Now, this has to do with an uncontrollable desire to possess a certain thing. It motivates one into committing sin in order to satisfy their greed. Coveting that which belongs to another will keep one from entering heaven. It fits into the category of being found wanting, like never being satisfied. Sometimes it even goes to extremes and can lead to other sins. Jealousy can also fall into this category because jealousy and coveting, it's like you're you're jealous that somebody else has something that you don't have. So that's coveting. You're desiring it. And some people, you know, they, they covet over the, uh, someone's material possessions. They covet that, oh, someone has something they don't, you know, America in general is found wanting. You know, let's look at everybody, all these people demanding minimum wage be 15 or $20 an hour. They want what other people have, but they don't want to work for it. They think it should just be given to them. That's found wanting. That's coveting. That's an example. Um, eyeing or lusting over your neighbor's wife. That's coveting. And that can even lead to cheating if that woman's unfaithful to her husband. That's adultery, which I mentioned previously. And those are all examples of the coveting that do not enter the kingdom of God. Point number eight. Drunkards shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Children of God should not be clouding their perspectives nor dulling their senses. Drunkenness causes one to lose focus and deal with others in what would be an unreasonable manner. They call it spirits for a reason, because these spirits manipulate you. Those who give themselves over to intoxication will find that it keeps them from entering heaven. Let's take a look at Luke 21, verses 34 through 36. Jesus specifically warned about this, starting on verse 34. Watch out, don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness, and by the worries of this life. Don't let that day catch you unaware, like a trap. For that day will come upon everyone living on the earth. Keep alert at all times, and pray that you might be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. You know, folks, before I go on, you know, a point on that. Since COVID started, there are many who have been turning to the bottle to numb their fear or their sadness because there's been a lot of separations happening. People are watching the destruction of this country, but it's not just America. This is going on around the world. People are recognizing the times changing, but they don't know what to do. And you don't want to put your faith and your hope in a bottle of booze. That's not the way forward. I mean, I played you the words from Jeremiah earlier as to what is coming for the unbelievers who don't call on Jesus and repent. And I told you at the very beginning what was done to Jesus. And all of that was a result of unbelief. You know, those verses from Jeremiah, that's coming for the unbelievers who don't call on Jesus and repent, or those who are backslidden or say they're Christians, but they're not living like Christians. But here's the problem. It doesn't mean you get saved like some of the mega pastors or televangelists preach, but then continue to down a pint or more of alcohol every night or every other night. That's not true repentance. And it really irks me that many churches do not properly preach about repentance. This is what is meant in Jeremiah 8, like I played for you earlier. You know, specifically verse 11, which says, They offer superficial treatments for my people's mortal wound. How can folks repent and begin healing with Christ if it isn't hammered home what they're doing wrong? And that goes for all these points that I just mentioned. And then I'm still going through. 
you know, moving on to point nine. Revelers shall not inherit the kingdom of God. In short, that's the troublemakers, those who do the opposite of making peace. The word tells us, search for peace and work to maintain it. And a reveler is the opposite of that, somebody who likes to make trouble constantly, uh, starting the spirit of strife, nagging, uh, saying things that aren't true, accusing people, just anything they can to start a fight and putting the pressure on someone who's, you know, especially those who are trying to live right. And this usually arises out of a haughty spirit. That's someone who's prideful. Many men and women of God have had to endure a reproach for their faith. You know, they have to turn the other cheek because that's what the word says to do. They have to do so or walk away or stay isolated because they don't want to deal with that kind of trouble. I mean, I know I've experienced at times personally where I've had to do it. Not even Jesus escaped verbal abuse. But, you know, true Christians, those who are living right, they won't have to endure it forever because there will be no revelers in heaven, according to what the word says. Moving on to point 10. Swindlers shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Seducers and smooth talkers of all kinds are included here. In other words, the ones who are liars. You know, the religious con man belongs to this group as as much as the secular. Those who prey on others by trying to take advantage of their misfortunes would be also included. Swindlers should know up front that they can't take their ill-gotten goods with them when they leave this world. Nor will they enter heaven if they continue and don't turn away from their trying to, you know, take advantage of others. You know, there's a few more verses to read on this. Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Luke 6, verses 43 through 49. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes, and grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. A good person produces good things from a treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. So then we go on from there, guys, you know, and uh, when we continue on in verse 46, we go on to the building of solid foundation. And some of you who have been following me for a while, um, you might recall that I wrote on the foundations and the bread not too long ago, and how many will not be found standing. And that's because it all ties to unbelief. And that's been all the unbelief I've been covering throughout this um, whole podcast. So starting on Luke 6, verse 46. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it is well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. And this has been everything that I've been addressing today in this podcast, because it is important that people understand whether or not they truly are living the word. And if people consider themselves true believers, they need to be studying the word and praying and asking God what he wants them to do, specifically if they are struggling in areas of sin that they can't seem to overcome. You know, if you go into the word and you're reading it and then you just, you say, okay, yes, I hear it, but you're not acting on it or you're not trying, that's not going to help change you. You have to really commit to Jesus. You have to give your life to him wholeheartedly. It can't be one foot in, one foot out. That's being lukewarm.
And the Lord spoke on lukewarmness. He wants people hot or he wants them cold. But the good news is he is our savior and he will help those who call on him. He will meet them where they are. But these are all the things that need to be recognized. Here he is, and he has been, calling on his people to repent and return to him. And because of the unbelief, the unbelievers go on about their ways. Think about that. Jesus died for us. He shed his blood for us to give us eternal life. He doesn't expect perfection. He expects belief, true faith. 2 Timothy 2, verse 19. God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone with this inscription, The Lord knows those who are his. And all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. Folks, don't be one of the unbelievers who persecute and fall under the judgments that I was reading about from Jeremiah. James 4.17 Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. And going back to the book of John, chapter 16, verses 8 and 9, And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Note that word believe, as everything I've talked about today goes back to unbelief and the coming consequences for those who don't. In Revelation 3, Jesus was speaking to the church, his body. Starting on verse 2, Wake up, strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly, repent, and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as unexpected as a thief. Moving on to verses 20 through 22, still in Revelation 3. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. And, you know, for those of you who haven't yet called on the Lord, if you call on him, you know, Romans 10, verses 9 through 10, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. And guys in that belief, you become a doer of the faith. James 1, verses 23 through 24 tell us, For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your faith in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. And that's exactly what's happened to this nation due to the unbelief. They have forgotten God, and they have put their wanting first. And they have put everything else first, including that which is evil and not of him. And that is what's leading to the judgments. That is the unbelief. In conclusion, you know, believe the word of God. Because regardless of whether or not you do, the scripture is going to be fulfilled. You know, don't be found sitting on the spiritual fence in this season. Psalm 14, 1 through 2. Only fools say in their hearts, there is no God. They are corrupt and their actions are evil. Not one of them does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the entire human race. He looks to see if anyone is truly wise, if anyone seeks God. You know, folks, let the Lord be your guidance. Let his wisdom fill you. Proverbs 1, verse 7. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. My friends, it is my prayer. This podcast has been a blessing to all of you. 
I pray it resonates with those who need to hear this message and turn from their sin. May our Lord Jesus bless you. Thanks for listening. And until next time, have a great week, everyone.